Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie and Bridgeland, South Calgary, and also Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary, along with all of those of you who are joining us online in the greater Calgary area and different parts of the nation and world. Well, it's really good to uh, be back with you all, uh, even though uh, I'm sure some of you didn't know I was gone. And... Uh, and so I just uh, want to welcome you back. Um, <laughs> seriously, some um, of you sometimes over the summer uh, approach me, uh, whether here at Central or if I'm visiting one of the other campuses, and uh, you say to me, what are you doing here? I thought you were on vacation. And uh, so I want to just clear up a little confusion uh, even though I um, take a break from speaking over the summer months, I still work several weeks over the summer. And I uh, just want to be clear about that. And having said that, though, my wife, Gwen, and I, uh, we do have a number of weeks of quality time together with each other, with our family, um, over the summer as well. And we're very, very grateful uh, for that time. Um, I also want to thank our staff, all of you who served so faithfully over the summer months in our services uh, and behind the scenes with our children, uh, took our youth into our city or around the world in, in different adventures. Just want to thank you all for the ministries that you have done. And I also just want to say again, I, I just, lest there be any doubt, I just want to say that I just love being your senior pastor. And Gwen and I just can't imagine doing anything more exciting and fulfilling than serving alongside all of you in reaching our city, our nation, and our world for Jesus Christ. Now, I do trust that you had a good summer as well. And uh, in fact, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person uh, next to you and just share one highlight from this summer. Um, just go ahead, just share that with the person next to you right now. Okay, so I, I hear the rumbling going down. We're, we're almost done. Um, I have a feeling that some of you, your highlight of the summer was coming to church and not having a pastor ask you to do that. <laughs> Anyways, here's what I'd like you to do now. Just want you to uh, pray silently for the person you just talked to or talked with. And uh, just ask God's favor and blessing upon their life this coming year. Okay, let's just pray together silently uh, for the people around us. For we pray it all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. When I was a young boy, I would go with my dad to the construction projects that he was involved with, and I'd watch him build kitchen cabinets and hang doors, and something inside of me wanted to be able to do that too, and I would say, Dad, would you teach me how to do that? I'd watch other tradespeople masterfully performing their craft 
drywallers, electricians, plumbers, painters, carpet layers. And I wanted to learn from them. Even now when I see someone do something exceptionally well, like a pro golfer, I want to say, please teach me how to golf. And those of you who have ever golfed with me right now, you can join in and say, yes, someone, please teach that boy how to golf. <laughs> Isn't it true that we are often motivated to learn from the best? Well, in Luke chapter 11, we read that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And the disciples were watching him closely. Here was someone with a connection with God like they had never seen before. No one had ever prayed like Jesus. It marked his life. When his schedule got demanding, we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, that he often withdrew to a place by himself to pray. Before he made big decisions like choosing his disciples, we read in Luke 6 that he spent an entire night in prayer. They saw him agonize in prayer. And of course, they witnessed peace and wisdom come upon him and the spiritual power of God flow through him following prayer. And we read in Luke 11 that somewhere along the way, the disciples approached Jesus and, Lord, and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Andrew Murray notes that Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. When I read the story of Christ in the scriptures, it's pretty evident that prayer wasn't a part of his life. It really defined his life. It was at the heart of his life and ministry. And if you think about it, it is the remarkable, it's remarkable that Jesus prayed it all because after all, he is God. I mean, why would God pray or need to pray? And yet, even though he is God, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that while he was on this planet, he set aside his divine privileges. He lived each day in humble dependence on God's enabling grace. And that included the practice of prayer. That included meeting daily with his heavenly father to receive assignments for the day. Even as he now calls those of us who are followers of him to live in humble dependence upon him. To meet with him daily to receive our assignments for the day. He modeled what he's calling us to do. Now, if you were to ask me why I pray, why I think that prayer is important, I could give you a number of reasons, including that God-directed, sincere, and humble prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. But the most important reason I would give you is the fact that Jesus prayed. If prayer was important to him, it's important to me and should be to all of us. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Matthew 6 and let Jesus teach us how to pray. Would you stand with me? Join me in reading a portion of this chapter together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated. Now, before we look specifically at the Lord's Prayer, let's first examine what Jesus teaches leading up to it. First of all, Jesus says, when you pray, pray sincerely. In verse 5, he refers to the religious hypocrites who love to pray in public places in order to draw attention to themselves. And it is that which Jesus is concerned about. He is not condemning public prayer here. He's not condemning raising your hands in worship or praying with others in the context of worship. What Jesus is concerned about is doing these things in order to be seen as spiritual by others. In other words, focusing on what others are thinking about us praying rather than on the Lord. That's not sincere prayer. That's hypocrisy. That's just putting on an act. And so whether you're praying with a friend or your family or, or with a small group, don't concern yourself with how you know, good your choice of words is or what others may be thinking about your prayer. You're talking to the Lord. Focus on Him. No, as, as Psalm 62, 8 says, pour your heart out to Him. God doesn't want us coming to him with impressive phrases and meaningless repetition. He wants us to be genuine, to be real, focused on him and him alone in our prayers. To be real and honest and to talk to him as we would a friend or a loving father. Furthermore, we're not only to pray sincerely, but Jesus calls us to devote some time praying privately each day. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now again, he's not speaking against praying in other contexts. I mean, I remind you, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 17 calls us to pray continually. So unless you're going to stay in your prayer room forever... Bottom line is you're going to be in other contexts. If you're going to pray continually, you'll be praying. Maybe when you're on the bus. You'll be praying when you drive on Deerfoot. You should be praying when you're driving on Deerfoot. <laughs> you'll be praying during meetings and so forth. But in this passage, he's simply making the case that the cornerstone of a healthy prayer life implies that you go to that special place, whatever it might be. And you spend some time with God alone. Even if only for 15 minutes. Go to that special place. For Jesus, it was the Mount of Olives. Beautiful place. Where is it for you? Where is that place you go to? Where is that chair that you sit in? And you meet with him alone. And so with that in mind, we come now to the Lord's Prayer. And in this message, we're just going to look at the first half of the prayer. Jesus begins by saying, when you pray, say, Father. He uses the Aramaic word, Abba, here, which is the informal name we often translate as Daddy. Imagine a little girl coming to her loving father, raising her hands to him and saying, Daddy, that's how he wants you to approach him. He's your daddy. He wants us to come to him the way that a child comes to her earthly father, a father who makes her feel loved, a father who makes her feel special and secure, a father she feels safe approaching. Our God is a personal God. When we pray, Father, we are not praying to a thing. We're not praying to a principle. We're not praying to a force. 
No, we're praying to a person. When we say Father, we are approaching a God who loves us with an everlasting love. A God who loves to hear our voice. So let me ask you this. Do you ever feel unworthy to come to God in prayer? Do you ever put off prayer because, you know, you're just feeling lousy about yourself. You don't feel worthy to approach him. You know, you haven't been praying enough perhaps or you feel like you've not been praying with enough faith or with enough passion or maybe there's just stuff going on in your life that you're not proud of and you put it off. I just want you to know that those are not God-given thoughts. Those are not reflective of God's character. Those thoughts are not true. They're designed by the enemy to keep you from coming to your heavenly Father and from praying. You know, as an earthly father, I don't care how busy I am. I love it when my sons, my daughter-in-laws, call me up or drop by for a visit. Even if they've hurt me, they've disappointed me in some way, it blesses me when they reach out to me and stay in touch. Now, if, if that is how an imperfect earthly father loves fellowshipping with his children, think about how much more our heavenly father delights in us coming to him. And so don't allow the enemy to deceive you into believing that you somehow are unworthy to approach your heavenly father, to call out to him. Because the reality is, folks, in ourselves, we are all unworthy to come to our father. We are only worthy because we are in Jesus by faith in him. And as a result, he is in us and he is worthy. Amen? And so we can come to him boldly knowing that he celebrates us coming to him. When we come to him, his heart says, oh, this is my son. Oh, this is my daughter. I just love it when they call me father. I love it when they set time aside to, to be with me, to talk about whatever's on their heart. Our Father. Now notice we're to pray to our Father in heaven. And one of our problems is we tend to think of heaven as, as way out there somewhere in some far distant galaxy. And the result is this kind of thinking is, is we start seeing God as being remote, as we see him as distant, unapproachable. Now, the Greek word for heaven and could refer to sky or the atmosphere, but it also stands for the air that we breathe. In other words, for what's right around us. And I believe that that's the intended meaning here. When we call out to our Father in heaven, we see him as being all around us. We see him as close, which means we're never alone. Which means I can speak to him anytime I want, for he is with me. You can talk to him with your eyes open. Did you know that? You can. I know that we all kind of learn when we pray, you know, we're supposed to close our eyes. Not a good thing when you're driving down Deerfoot. <laughs> you see, you can pray to him with your eyes open. You can pray with, him with your eyes closed. You can pray standing, sitting, lying prostrate on the ground. If you want to stay focused on the Lord and you want to remove distractions, closing your eyes, bowing your head is a good thing. So when you pray, our Father in heaven, remember he is closer than the air that you breathe. 
He loves to hear from you. There's nothing too small or insignificant that you can't bring to him. There are voices around you that will convince you that that's irrelevant. Don't bring that to God. But there is nothing that's insignificant to him because he cares about you. Everything about you. Then Jesus said, we're to pray, hallowed be your name. When I pray, Father, I'm acknowledging that he's my daddy, that he's approachable, that he loves me, that he is with me. When I pray that God's name is hallowed, I'm acknowledging that he is God and I'm not. That he is holy and just. I'm acknowledging that I'm talking to the God of creation, the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God of the universe who is worthy of my full attention, who is worthy of my utmost admiration and respect. And that nothing is impossible for him. Our Father, who art in heaven, Daddy, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father is our friend. He's our sovereign Lord. He also wants to be our King. He wants to be, He wants to reign and rule in our lives. He wants to reign and rule in our world. Now, have you ever thought about what our world would be like if God's kingdom were to come in fullness? If God were, His will were to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, it would be heavenly. It would be amazing. The Apostle John, he, he got a glimpse of how things will be when God's kingdom is fully realized. In Revelation seven sixteen, it says, there will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. No more tears. Revelation 21, 4 says, there will be no more death or mourning crying or pain. Isaiah 2.4 describes a day when disputes between nations and disputes between people will be no more. When wars will cease. When swords and spears will be no longer instruments of death but will be repurposed to be instruments of agricultural, agriculture and life. Isaiah eleven six describes a day when predators like the wolf will live with the lamb. The lion will lie down with the calf. The dog will make peace with the rabbit and the cat will be no more. <laughs> I'm joking. It's not even my joke. I heard John Orkberg give it. So please write him if, just tell him he don't like his jokes, okay? Seriously, when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, aside from the cat joke, that is a picture of what we're praying for. That God's will would increasingly be accomplished in our lives, in our homes, in our cities, in our nation in our world. And yet, I don't need to convince you that our world is so far from that. Every time I read the paper or, or listen to the news, every time I hear stories like a mother that goes on a 10-day sexual escapade while leaving her two infant children to starve to death, 
Every time I read about the abuse, the rage, the murders taking place in our homes, in our cities, every time I hear about children, some of whom come to churches like ours, who are hungry, and when they're given food after, you know, some food event, they stuff their pockets and grab what's given to them and say to their siblings, we get to eat this week. Every time I hear about stuff like that right here in our own church, every time I hear about unspeakable grief of a family's going through because of the sudden death of a loved one or every time I'm told that another person that we know has cancer, every time I read about the wars and the bloody conflicts, the atrocities committed against humanity in various parts of our world, I'm reminded of how badly we need God's kingdom to come. How badly we need his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This past week, the refugee crisis in the Middle East hit the collective conscience of Canadians and the rest of the world in a whole new way when video footage of the lifeless body of a Syrian toddler that washed up on a Turkish beach went viral. As tragic as little Ellen's death is, we're told that thousands of other children just like him have also drowned attempting to escape the persecution and the bloodshed that's taking place there. The sad truth is the rest of the world knows little of the killings and the atrocities that are taking place every day all over the world. Atrocities that continue to be committed against hundreds of thousands of children and youth and adults in various regions of the world. We need God's kingdom to come. We need his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I mentioned to you a couple of years ago, I, along with Charles Price of People's Church in Toronto, the two of us have been invited to represent in Canada in the Global Kingdom Partnership Network, a network of about 100 or so of the largest churches representing nations from around the world. We meet together once a year. And every time we meet, we hear from pastors that come from highly persecuted countries. And most of what we hear, we've never heard before because our media doesn't tell these stories. One pastor told how this last January, in the northeast corner of Nigeria, the terrorist group Boko Haram swarmed into a small town and slaughtered over 2,000 villagers, men, women, and children. Amnesty International called the attack catastrophic. An eyewitness reported that the terrorists were killing people like animals. But the world hardly noticed. Another pastor from another nation I won't mention in order to protect him and his church. He told how extremists are cutting off limbs of those who won't convert to their religion. Over the last 15 years in his country, more than 1,500 church buildings have been destroyed by the extremists. We don't hear about a lot of that. Just this past year, a Bible school was totally destroyed, and most of the staff were killed. A village in this same country was attacked by extremists, leaving over 200 Christians murdered. They fled to their church to find protection. And while in the church, the church was burned to the ground. We heard stories of vile, disgusting atrocities committed against families, against women and children that not only shocked us, but left us all in tears. Collectively, we raised almost $3 million to give to that region of the world that day so that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven.
In some countries, women and children were kidnapped, forced to recant their faith, and if they didn't, they were either killed on the spot or made to serve as sex slaves. In some countries, churches are now having to use scanners like you see at the airport because extremists are coming into church services with bombs strapped under their clothes and they're detonating them in the middle of the service. This kind of persecution is a reality for millions of people around our world, stories we hardly ever hear about. But they serve to remind us how much we need God's kingdom to come. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, Father, come and rule in my life. Come and rule in my home. Come and rule in my city and in my nation, in our world. Come. We're acknowledging that our attempt to rule ourselves, our attempt to to, to make peace ourselves, to do things without God, it's not working. We need God to do what we can't do. Which leads me to ask, how will the kingdom come? How will his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, Jesus teaches here, it begins with prayer. Of course, at some point, it does require some kind of action on our part in obedience to the direction and the will of God in our lives. But it begins with prayer. Because prayer acknowledges our need for God to do what we can't do. When we pray, Father, may your kingdom come, we're saying we can't do this ourselves. We can't do this in our own strength. Our efforts without you, God, will fail. The efforts of politicians and educators and governments and armies have failed to bring peace and they will continue to fail without you. And so as more and more people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and pray that his kingdom will come, the more we will see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And make no mistake, we're seeing God's kingdom come powerfully in places all over the world, including these countries that are experiencing extreme persecution. A pastor friend in Egypt informed me, informed us all that we're there, that they have seen the kingdom of God advance in their country more in the last three years than they have in the previous 1,300 years. People in his nation are seeing the bankruptcy of their religion. And they, as a consequence, every day, more than 5,000 of them are putting their trust in Jesus Christ. 5,000 a day, just in one nation. You see, when people surrender their lives to the reign and the rule of Christ and they pray for his kingdom to come, amazing things begin to happen. In his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Need to Get Out of the Boat, John Orkberg tells the story of Doug Coe, who leads a Christian ministry in Washington, D.C. Doug became acquainted with a salesman by the name of Bob, And through that relationship, Bob came to faith in Christ and Bob began to meet with Doug to grow in his faith. One day, Bob came in all excited about a statement that he read in the Bible just the day before where Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name and you will receive it. And Bob asked Doug, he said, is that really true? And Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. But yes, it's true. God really does answer prayer. 
Well, Bob said, man, then I've got to start praying. For, I've got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. And Doug said, that's great, but Africa's kind of a big place. Why don't you narrow it down to a country? He said, I'll pray for Kenya. Kenya's kind of been on my heart. I'm going to pray for Kenya. Doug asked Bob, do you know anyone in Kenya? He said, no. He said, have you ever been there? No. Obviously, this was something that God had put on Bob's heart. And so in order to teach Bob the power of prayer, Doug made an unusual arrangement with Bob. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And if Bob did that, and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. On the other hand, if something remarkable happened, Bob would be required to pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day for Kenya, well, then the whole deal was off. And so Bob began to pray. And for a long time, nothing happened. Then one night, Bob was at a dinner party in Washington. The people around the table explained what they did for a living, and one woman across from him said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 sprout wings and begin to fly away. <laughs> but that didn't stop him. He could not keep quiet. He roared to life. He asked her question after question. And at the end of the evening, she turned to him and said, you obviously are very interested in my country. Have you ever been to Ken Kenya before? He said, no. Do you know anybody in Kenya? He said, no. Then why do you happen to be so curious about my country? He said, well, I've been praying for your country every day for some time now. And so she asked Bob if he wanted to come to visit Kenya, and in particular, her, the orphanage that she was part of. He did, of course, and when he arrived in Kenya, he was appalled at the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon arriving back in Washington, he began to write large pharmaceutical companies, describing to them the vast need that he had seen. And he reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya? Well, some of those companies did just that. This orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. But it doesn't end there. Later, the woman from the orphanage called him up and said, you know, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters that you wrote. We'd like to fly you back here because we're going to have a big celebration. Would you come? And so Bob flew back to Kenya. And while he was there, the president of Kenya came to this particular celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country. And the president, after meeting Bob and kind of knowing the story he had been filled in, he offered to take Bob to Nairobi and give him a tour of the capital city. And in the course of that tour, they saw a prison. And Bob asked the president about that particular prison, and the president said that the prisoners in that particular prison were political prisoners. And Bob just nonchalantly said, you know, that's a bad idea. You, sh you should let them go. Well, Bob finished the tour. He thanked the president for his hospitality and flew back to Washington. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president there about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? Well, I told him he should let him go. And the government official went on to explain that the State Department had been working for years through diplomatic means to get the release of those prisoners. But now the prisoners were released and the State Department was told it was largely because of a guy named Bob. 
And so the government was calling to say, thanks, Bob. It gets better. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? Well, Bob accepted that invitation and prayed for the president of Kenya as requested. Isn't that a remarkable story? Now, of course, not all of our prayers are going to result in presidents of countries calling us. But I share that with you to make this point, and that is when we pray, Father, Daddy, may your kingdom come to this country. May your kingdom come to this family. May your kingdom come to this situation. The God of the universe, he hears us. And our prayers make a difference whether we see it or not. They are making a difference. I'm thinking of another story of a fellow whose relationship with his sister completely collapsed to the point where there was no contact between her and the rest of the family for years. Years later, he became a Christian, and as a Christ follower, he began to pray. And one day, while he was praying, he felt deeply impressed to pray that his relationship with his sister would somehow be restored, that her relationship with the entire family would be restored. In essence, he prayed, Father, may your kingdom come into her life. May your kingdom come into the life of our family. Well, much to his shock, like after 15 years, a week after praying that prayer, out of the blue, she called her parents, whom she had ignored all that time. His mother called him. He got the phone number and called her back, called his sister. When her husband handed her the phone, she was crying hysterically. They chatted. They laughed. They reminisced and they cried. And then he said to her near the end of the conversation, I must tell you something that has changed my life forever. I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. And there was a pause. And then with her voice shaking, she said, so have I. And after almost two decades, their family was reunited again. Because someone prayed, your kingdom come to this person. Your kingdom come to this family. Those are just two examples. Not only to help us appreciate the power of prayer, but the life change that comes when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and we give him permission to rule and to reign in our lives. Those are just two examples of what we're believing God for when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to challenge us all to start praying, your kingdom come. Because Jesus calls us to. Perhaps there's a mountain in your life that you just don't know how you're going to climb and get over Perhaps there's a health situation in a friend's life or a person that you know who's really struggling or a family member who needs the Lord. Whatever it is, does it break your heart enough to commit praying for it every day? My challenge to you would be that whatever it is that God is laying on your heart or has laid on your heart, that you'll take it to the Lord in prayer for at least the next six months. And if at the end of that time something amazing hasn't happened in relation to your prayer well then, Pastor Wayne Smeal will personally give you $500. <laughs>
I'm kidding about the $500 part, but not about the rest. Whatever burden is weighing us down, whatever need or situation God has laid on our hearts, let's pray that God's kingdom would come into that situation and believe our prayers are making a difference. When you become aware of a marriage that needs healing, pray that God's kingdom would come into that marriage. When you become aware of a family that's unraveling or that's broken, a body that needs healing, a person who needs the Lord, pray, Father, may your kingdom come into that situation. When you come to our concert of prayer here on September 18th, pray that the kingdom of God will come into your family, will come into the lives of the people that you work with, into the people in your neighborhood. Get a map of Calgary and pray that God's kingdom would invade each and every community. Take some people with you and walk around your community and as you go by house after house, pray that God's kingdom would come on those families that are in those homes and believe that your prayer is making a difference. Get a map of Alberta and just start praying through it. God, may your kingdom come to Medicine Hat. May it come to Red Deer. May it come to Edmonton. Yes, we pray especially for Edmonton. <laughs> Get a map of our world and pray that God, that his kingdom may come to Syria, to Iraq, to Iran, and other countries that God lays on your heart knowing that he hears us, that our prayers make a difference. They make a difference even as Bob's prayers made a difference. He had the joy of seeing some of the difference his prayers made. We may not see that joy, but our prayers are no less effective. My friends, I want to say this. Pray like that only if you have first prayed that God's kingdom would come into your life. That God would rule and reign in your life. Because what use is it to pray that God's kingdom would come into someone else's life when Jesus does not rule in my life? And friends, I want to encourage you and just tell you that he will come and reign and rule as king of your life if you will just humble yourself. Surrender your life completely to him and pray, Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed, be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? So I want you to spend a little time with the Lord. Let's just put our hands open before him. And there's just two questions I want you to take to the Lord in prayer. The first one is, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And the second question is, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? Just spend some time right now.
If you have a special prayer need, there are people, prayer partners making their way up here. They'd love to pray with you before you go. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. As you go out and represent his kingdom and pray that his kingdom would come. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 